He is risen. He is risen you guys are awesome. So here's the question. Why? He is risen. We affirm that. We believe that. We know that. We cherish that. We are joined together here today to celebrate He is risen. But the real issue behind that to me is, and why? It's very easy to affirm certain ideas and truths and values and things that we would hold dear, but sometimes we don't always know why we hold those as dearly as we do. Why those things actually matter to the scope of life and life eternal. We just sometimes don't ponder the question, why? In fact, it was interesting, just the other day I was uh, in a local gun shop, and uh, everybody who would leave, yep, there you go, right there. That was for you, all right? And so, I'm in there, and, and every time somebody would leave, the guy would say, Happy Easter. And they'd say, Happy Easter. Another person would leave, Happy Easter, Happy Easter. So the gal working in there with the guy, she finally says, um, Is Easter like some big religious holiday for all religions all over the world? Which I thought was interesting, because it's in a gun shop, right? Like, typically you think, like, isn't that, every, every gun shop is a pocket of the Bible belt? Don't you just assume that, Right? <laughs> It's like an enclave of the Bible Belt, it's just anywhere, even in the Northwest, right? So uh, I'm thinking like, well, that's kind of a surprise. And so the guy goes, oh, no, it's not all religions. It's just the Christian religion. She goes, just the Christian one? He goes, well, actually, just the Catholic one, which I'm like, that's awesome. Um, <laughs> us poor Protestants, we just don't play the game, apparently, this time of year. We just have Easter, all right? So uh, anyway, he goes, no, no, you know, it's, uh, you know it's, it's, it's just you know, for Christians, everything else. And, and then she said, well, what's that all about? And he goes, well, Jesus rose. And she goes, oh. And then the conversation just stopped right there. You know, like, oh, okay, I got it. He rose. And I'm not even sure the guy in there could have gone the extra step with her to explain what that meant. Not because he did anything wrong, but even as I was listening to the conversation a little bit, it was kind of rough and rugged. And, and again, he was trying to articulate things as best as he could. But it made me think about us as Christians at large and how sometimes on this topic we'll say, yes, the resurrection is central. It is the, the singular event that hyperinflated the church. I mean, one of the things that people look at as a verification that the resurrection happened was that in a very short amount of time, a large group of people simultaneously believed. Not just because they're convinced by some message, but some event happened in connection with the message that brought hyperinflation. So we uh, verify that and affirm that. It's the resurrection that we say is our defining feature as Christians. The big idea, the jaw dropper, where we say, man, that is something, something's changed, something's happened, this really matters. But the question is, in your mind right now, I want you to answer for yourself, why did Jesus rise? In other words, if you were quizzed in that local gun shop and they asked you, why the resurrection? Would you be able to say, well, here's the answer. Here's the, the clear, concise picture of why this matters. Why it's the center heartbeat of the Christian faith. See, what I find, even in my own life as I think about it, is I struggle with how to answer that. Like if I, I was to say to you, um, why did Jesus go to the cross? Your answer is that fast. For our sins. Jesus died for our sins. Jesus bled for our sins. Jesus suffered for our sins. But if I say, then why did he rise? You'd be like, because it's a good ending to the story. <laughs> right? Like, of course. 
We might struggle to articulate the answer, but here's the answer. You ready? Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And Jesus rose from the dead for our sins. It's the same answer. It's exactly the same answer. Christ was crucified for our offense. Christ rose in relationship to our offense. And so with that, let's go ahead and pray together. Jesus, I thank you for this Resurrection Sunday. It's not merely Easter. It's not merely about bunnies and eggs and family events and uh, just all the things that come with it, but more profoundly and potently, it's about you coming back from the dead and how that changed the world. That changed everything. That changed our lives. It changed our future. It changed the trajectory of all existence. And so I pray today that it wouldn't just be another message that we go, oh yeah, that's the story, but no, it would, it would penetrate us. It would move us and shape us and humble us before you. May it bring great gratitude and anticipation and hope for the challenges we face. So we look to you today to teach us in your way your great truth. We celebrate you, Jesus, today in your awesome name. Amen. Well, I know it's Easter, but hopefully you brought a Bible, all right? So if you have, please open up to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. If you have a fake Bible on your phone, you can use that. We don't mind. Uh, we have an overhead Bible because, well, you might not have a fake Bible or a real Bible, so we've got options for you. And so you can open up to Ephesians chapter 2. Now, in looking at this passage this week and kind of getting ready for it, I, I realize when I think about the resurrection, and again, just saying that the resurrection, the reason it happened was for our sin, I realize that we have a pretty deep assumption as a, as a race, right? It's just this kind of purveying assumption that, that drives itself in our minds. Um, we think we're pretty good people, right? We think we're actually pretty good people. I mean, when quizzed, when we think about it, when we survey the human race and we look at ourselves, we go, we're pretty good people on average, maybe even better than average, and we assess that in part believing that the world operates on karma. So I'm pretty good. The world operates on karma. So in the end, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be all right. I'm going to be set. Now to ensure that we, we get this right, we, we then create these uh, solutions. There are solutions. But our solutions are things like religion or ethics where we try to ensure that, that we can re reward our good efforts or that karma will reward our activities so that in the end, when the scales are tipped, it, it'll tip in our favor. We were good enough, we were nice enough, we were kind enough, we were caring enough, we were uh, giving enough, we were investing enough, we were sensitive enough, we were loving enough, we were good dads and good moms and we were good to our parents, and we had good jobs, and we lived in a good country, and all those things we see as our solutions based on our assumptions. But when we look at the Bible, and again, all of this has to do with the resurrection, when we look at the Bible, we actually see a book from our God 
who says, you know what, we're actually flawed and we're broken and we're inconsistent and we're self-centered. We're actually sinful people. And I know that word at times almost isn't uh, popular because, again, it makes us feel bad and nobody wants to feel bad. We want to feel good, so don't tell us what we are. But the reality is we struggle in these things. We are sinful people before a holy God who has a merit system that requires absolute perfection to be okay. And that's, that's not us. It's just not us. I mean, I look at my own life. I look at my own life as a pastor. Yesterday, I'm out cleaning my yard, working on things, cleaning stuff up wherever else. So when you're doing that for a number of hours, you're just left to your thoughts, right? You think whatever, I mean, sometimes there's nothing in there. I swear, ladies, not a single thing. Um, like, I'm not thinking anything. Ellen be like, what you thinking about? Like, That's weird. There was nothing. Um, right? <laughs> Absolutely blank. Got nothing. Uh, but other times, I'm just left to think about my history and about my life and where I want things to go. And I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm power washing my, my patio. And then suddenly I realize, I'm like, wow, for the last 15 minutes, I have been having these, these bitter arguments with people in my past who have hurt me. And I thought how strange that is, that even in that moment, there's still this thing in me that ebbs towards uh, sin, that ebbs ebbs towards bitterness and frustration and and, and holding resentment and things like this. And I, I remember just being a little shocked by it, like, man, I'm still really, really a mess. We're all a mess. And even though we are a mess, God is gracious. God is gracious. God is the architect of this crazy thing called grace, this mind bender that no human would make up because frankly, no human is prepared to actually issue the kind of grace that God speaks of. We don't issue grace. We might issue mercy. We might issue forgiveness, but not in the fullest sense. We still hold something back. We still have wounds at times. There's this limitation we have to exercise grace, but God exercises radical grace. And in Ephesians chapter 1, it speaks to that grace. If you're new with us this morning, you've never been a part of redemption, we're going through this book called Ephesians. right? So today is just like every other Sunday for us, in that we're looking at the same book we've been looking at. And in chapter 1 of that book, Paul highlights the grace of God. He says, God is so gracious. God is so uncontrollably gracious in your life. He has blessed you with every spiritual blessing. He has chosen you. He has adopted you, redeemed you, forgiven you, sealed you, and teaches you in His grace. And we say, that's awesome. But to understand the nature of this grace and why it is so potent, we have to understand the context in which grace was shown. Right, Because we can get all excited about that. Of course, grace, yes, awesome, we love grace. But realize, realize what was happening when grace came. Ephesians chapter 2. As Paul has just celebrated grace, he says, and there was all of this grace while you were dead. While you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. We were dead, we were sinful, we were trespassing on God's territory. We were broken. Now right now you're like, man, I thought this was Easter, bro. I thought this was the uplifting Sunday. What do you mean sin? Listen, the resurrection means nothing without this. Has no context whatsoever without understanding Ephesians 2, 1 and 2a, that we were broken. 
right? And we weren't just sinners, we were master sinners. And here's how we're master sinners. Here's the problem. Sometimes we see that word sin or trespass and we automatically go to like perverse things, um, the forbidden things, like the thou shall nots, right? We go, okay, that's sin and if I don't murder and I don't lie and I don't cheat and I don't steal, I'm not a sinner, I'm a good person. That's not really how God sees it. Here's how God sees it. Anytime we are first, that is sin. Anytime we are first, we can be first and be very moral. We can be first and very good. We can be first and very wise by all earthly standard. But as soon as we are first and God is second or third or fifth or tenth, as soon as my priorities trump his priorities, my affections are on other things more than they are on God, then I'm first, he's second, and that is the broken condition. That's the sin. That's the problem. As soon as it's me first, we have a problem. Now, again, I know that sometimes we don't see ourselves like that. We, again, say, well, we're pretty good. But our version of pretty good is like a teenage boy who looks at his room and says, it's pretty clean. All right? Like, to him, spotless. To you as a mother, oh, goodness. Right? Like, it's like you want to just help him see, like, no, you can't have like 12 candy bar wrappers on the floor and that'd be clean. And be like, but there was 20 before. Yeah, but there's 12 now, but that's cleaner. No, it's not clean enough. I have a soon-to-be 13-year-old son. Oh, how I understand. All right? That's how we sometimes see it. So we say, no, no, I'm pretty good. And God says, well, but here's the reality. This is your condition. And this condition is linked to three different influences that Paul sees in the text, three different forces that kind of sustain the condition. He says, first of all, we are following the course of this world, right? That's his first dilemma that he sees, right? That's what we do. All of us, you ready? All of us are imitators, Every one of us, I know we don't like that, especially you people that think you're so you're original, unique, and different, that you dress like all those other people that are original, unique, and different, right? Like, like we all don't want to be imitators, but we all imitate. There is some group we adhere to, there's some ideology we want to be like, we have a bumper sticker for it, we have a card in our wallet for it, we have something that resonates with us on Facebook, you like that topic a lot, that group a lot, right? Because we imitate, we all imitate. It's just the way it works. The human race is a bunch of lemmings, including myself. I was thinking about it this week, I'm like, man, there's a lot of things that I imitate. I'd like to think I'm an original, but I'm not. I'm looking to follow and when we follow the course of this world, we're following all kinds of things. Maybe it's politics, or maybe it's media, maybe it's just culture at large, causes, a charismatic leader, certain religious ideas, knowledge, information, education, American dream, whatever it is. We follow and we follow and we follow the course of this world. And that says, at its core, me first. I want to be happy. I want to be fulfilled. I want what I want. And so we just, we just follow. And we don't question it if it doesn't seem immoral or bad. Because we're just kind of going in the current. As long as it doesn't hurt anybody else, as long as everybody's consenting, we're good. But God would say, no, you're following the course of this world. That's the first influencer, this twisted environment. The second influencer is a manipulating opponent. He says, not only do you follow the course of this world, we're following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit is now at work in the sons of disobedience. In scripture's vernacular, this is the devil. 
This is Satan, and some of us go, man, I don't even know if there's a devil. No, there's a devil. He's real, he's alive, and he loves it that you don't acknowledge him. The more you don't think he's real, the more he digs it. He's not looking for fame. He's not looking for notoriety. He's just looking for vengeance. He's just looking to enslave. He doesn't care your perspectives as long as God isn't first. That's all he cares about, so that's all he points to. So he uses everything. He uses money, he uses love, he uses power, he uses whatever he can. He gives us wants, and he gives us discontent, he gives us lies, he gives us dreams that are unattainable, distractions and doubts and do-goodisms. You've got to understand, the enemy, he loves religion, he loves morality. Did you know nobody knows the Bible better than the devil, and he preaches it often? He preaches it often. Every time we think our good works get us to heaven, that's him preaching the Bible. That's right, just keep doing the good works, it's going to get you there. He preaches a gospel. The book of Galatians says he comes and preaches all kinds of gospels. Earn your own way. Have your own keep. It doesn't matter. Live for yourself. All paths lead to God. He's got a lot of gospels, a lot of good news in his mind. Right? He loves morality, loves effort, loves to even uh, make us feel bad that we don't measure up. Oh, he loves that. He loves to accuse us of not being good enough. And so we were following the prince of the power of the air that works in the sons of disobedience. We had a manipulating opponent. And then third, Paul says we had a corrosive inclination. He says, among whom Satan we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. What this is saying is we're not just victims, right? We can start to do that. Oh, okay, well, I got it. Oh, we're sinful because we're stuck in this world and Satan hates us. He wants a record day. And so I'm the victim. Well, in a lot of ways, we are. We're born into this, this state, this condition, this, this situation. We are victims in that sense. But there's this very conscious effort on our part, too, to do our own thing. And so in that sense, we're not just victims. We are practitioners in all sorts of ways. Some of us at times are practitioners of self-destruction. We just have self-destructive behavior that hurts us, hurts others. We know it hurts, but we don't even know how to fix it. Others are practitioners of self-satisfaction. I just want to be fulfilled. I want to be happy. I want to have pleasure. Some are practitioners of self-righteousness. They judge a lot. They're better than others. They remind others that they're not measuring up. They can't succeed. They don't achieve. Maybe it's an oppressive father, an oppressive mother, a difficult friend, a religious code, a pastor, whatever it is, a spouse that's too demanding. And so there is this this self-righteousness that they exude, and that too is sin. Some of us are practitioners of self-serving or self-destiny or self-revelation or just simply self-indulgence. It doesn't matter any of those things because they all start with the catalyst word self. All of them start with self. That is carrying out the desires of the body and the mind through our flesh. Right? It's where our sin wins over God. And the result, according to verse 3, is that we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Children of wrath. It just says, man, this is, this is kind of your state. This is where you're going. This is how it's going to end wrath. Again, I know it's like, man, really? This is the Easter message? Man, can't he preach from, about those flowers up front for a minute? No, this is the Easter message. This is the whole weekend that we have to understand, right? 
children of wrath by nature, like the rest of mankind. And we were under wrath. And apart from Christ, we are still under wrath. Regardless if we are pagan idol followers, regardless if we are religious rule keepers, regardless if we're morally intuitive individuals, it doesn't matter. We're all in that same state and we all face the wrath of God. All of us. Because we don't follow God or worship God in the way that He's defined Himself. We want to do it our own way. right? And so as a planet, man, we are hopeless. We are helpless. And all of our advancements that we achieve as human beings only kind of highlight the perpetual problem of our lives. The more technological we become, the more sinister we become with that technology. The more we're supposed to make life happier and freer and and, and more capable of being fulfilling, we take those same things and we oppress others and we inflict pain and we exploit others and we manipulate things instead of worshiping and revering the one true God. And so as a race, what we say is we say no to God. We just say no to God. Now we say that in different ways. Some people say, no way. No way, I don't want God. If God's supposed to be loving, then why do bad things happen? No way, I don't want God. That's the rude form. Others simply say, no thanks. They're very polite. How about God? No thanks, I'll pass. I'm a vegan. No thanks, I'll pass. It's not my thing. No thanks, I'll pass. I go with human enlightenment or intelligence. So we say, no thanks. And then there's others that say, no, but if, it, but if he was a different way, then okay. No, no, not under that full definition, but if we took out some of that definition, then I'm, I'm good with it. So I'm no for now, but if you change him around, I'll be yes to it later. See, we all say no. And as we were saying no, God was looking at us and saying Yes. While we were in opposition, while we were opponents, while we were coming up with our own thing, while we were pursuing our own ways, again, not all of it being hateful toward God, not all of it being animosity laden, just in our own way, doing our own thing, when we were saying no, God was saying yes. And so Paul builds this case, and he says, here was the situation, here was the condition. We were lost, broken, hopeless, hurting, hurting others, all of this. And then he says in verse 4, but God... But God, I like big butts and I cannot lie, right? That, right? This is a big butt. This is a big old butt. And I like this. I do not lie. This makes the difference. This is the pivot, all right? This is the hinge. So you're like, oh, now Easter's coming. Yes, all right? So you've been stuck in Good Friday, all right? Now you're coming to Glorious Sunday. This is begotten when we were against him, when we were opposing him, man, he did something remarkable. Now, he didn't have to do it this way. I mean, we could just as easily read this and it could say, but God said enough. Could be what we read. It could have read, but God said die. Or over. Or Vader, power up the Death Star. I don't know what, you know, whatever. We're making an intergalactic freeway. Move the planet. Could have done any of those things. It says, but God, being rich in mercy. Rich in mercy. I love this, man. Not giving us what we deserve. 
right? Be clear what, what the condition was. We were all these sinful things, which meant we were children of wrath. So wrath is what we deserve. Wrath is what we've earned. Wrath is what we've piled up. But God says, wait, I'm going to show mercy. I'm going to do something crazy. I'm not going to give them what they deserve. They've earned this, man. They've gone full throttle in their own way, doing their own thing and not putting me first. And, and I can do any number of things, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to show mercy. Mercy is a powerful force if you actually own that you're in trouble. Now, if you don't think you're really in trouble, who cares about mercy? If you think you're in trouble, mercy is huge. When our kids were younger, uh, they would get in trouble. They don't now. They're perfect. They're teenagers. Um, but... But when they were younger, uh, they'd get in trouble, and, and here's how they knew. Everything was very controlled, very rational. It'd be like, oh, buddy, that's too bad. Let's go to the bathroom. And that's when they knew. Right? So we're going into the bathroom, you know, because the bathroom is the place of trouble, right? You're in trouble. You are a child of wrath, all right? So go into the bathroom. And, and yet there, there was these times where they would do something wrong and we wanted to teach them theology. We wanted to teach them the gospel. And so there would be these times where they were going to be in trouble and then at the last we'd say, but I'm going to show you mercy. And they'd be like, mercy, 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 right? You know, they don't know this mercy. So we teach them about mercy, right? And they go, oh, mercy's good, right? So, um, so then like next time they get in trouble, we take them into the bathroom, Right? And what would they do? Show me mercy! Show me mercy! Show me mercy! Right? So, mission accomplished. All right? They would get it. Right? Because they know they're in real trouble. And what they need is real mercy because they know they've earned what's coming. And so, perhaps they could get mercy. I wasn't always God. Sometimes they didn't get it. Um, but they knew there's value in mercy. They need mercy because mercy again says, I'm not going to give you what you deserve. When we're hopeless, when we're helpless, it's where God shows up big and God shows mercy. Why? Because of the great love with which he loved us. See, here's this thing I've noticed about human nature sometimes, especially about God. We tend to assume that God is obligated to love us. You ever notice that? People say, well, if God is loving, they, it just instantly, we, we, we make him obligated to the task. We treat him like a grandparent, where it's like, of course you bring gifts, that's your job, <laughs> right? Like we just assume that's why a parent or a grandparent rather exists. And so we assume that God exists to show us love, even though we're unlovely, even though we're unlovable at times. See, God's not obligated to love us, but He chooses to love us. It's not required of Him. It's not in the God job description. First thing on the job, love the human race that does not love you. No, He chooses us. It's active with a great love in which He loved us. I tell you today, if you don't know the love of God, know that God loves you. Even in your condition, even in your state, even under wrath, even facing judgment, all of that, God loves you and He's rich in mercy. He says, I want you. He says, it's this great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses, even when that was our state. Have you ever tried to love somebody that is rebellious or is hard-hearted or doesn't want what you want? 
Have you ever tried to effectively show mercy and tenderness and compassion to somebody that is just pushing back on you? If you've ever had a child that has just gone full hostile or a spouse that says enough is enough, I don't want you. And you kept pressing in and you kept showing mercy and you kept trying to love. Man, you would understand how God did this tenaciously, powerfully. That's the good news. So it says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Made us alive together. See, we were dead in our sins, but God made us alive in Christ. When did He do it? When He made Christ alive. On Friday night, we had a cross right over here. And I talked about the fact that when Christ went to the cross, He was on the cross, but all who claim Christ, all who believe in Christ, were in Christ on the cross. I don't know how that works. Watch Doctor Who, he'll explain it. All right? He knows time warp stuff, all right? I don't get that. What I know is that we were in Christ. Christ was on the cross. Christ died. Christ was buried. We were in Christ in the ground. And when Christ rose in glory that we celebrate today, we too raised with Christ. That's what I know. We raised with Christ. It's a mystery. It's a mind boggler. I don't get it. But what I know from it is that in the same way that the cross dealt with my sin and crucified it and killed it, when Christ rose from the dead, so I too rose in Christ without my sin. He rose to deal with my sin as much as He died to deal with my sin. And now because of that, it is no longer held against me and I am no longer a slave to it. Praise God, God rose Christ from the dead. We are free. We are free. That is why it matters. In fact, in Colossians chapter 2, it says, He forgave us all our sins. All of them. It doesn't matter what you've done. Your self-righteous ones and your self-indulgent ones. He's forgiven them all, right? Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, right? I mean, we, man, we had a long laundry list of stuff, and He's taken it away, and He nailed it to the cross. And there it died with him, and in the ground it stayed, and when he rose, we too rose. See, in love of justice and holiness and truth, God had wrath coming toward Matt Boswell. Right? Because he's so committed to holiness and justice and truth, but then in love also, in love of mercy and forgiveness, reconciliation, God took the wrath that I had earned and he placed it on his son, on his cross, all of my crud Christ took forgave me completely, put me in Him, and lifted me with Him. This is why in verse 5 Paul says, by grace you have been saved. By grace. That's it. It's not our activity or achievement or attitude or adherence or affection. Right? None of those things can merit anything. Only God's grace saves. Right? Only God's grace. And so you think about just how far uh, the, the writer here takes us. He says, you went from the world, the flesh, the devil, slavery and wrath, to life, peace, power, presence, and hope. All because of what God has done. 
by His grace. It says more than that. It says He raised us up with Him. He raised us up with Him. Both out of the grave and into heaven. I mean, that's your destination. If you know Jesus, that is your destiny. No question. That's where you're going. You've been raised up with Him. You are in Him now as He is seated on the throne, so you are seated with Him. That's what it says, right? And seated with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's just your position right now. One day you'll be with Him. Now you are in Him. Again, mystery. I don't get it. Mind-filled. But true. True. I love that. And why does He do this? so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Just think about that. Think about the scale. We were dead, wandering walkers of sin, right? Under wrath, kids destined for wrath. And now he takes the society of the pardoned rebels and makes them the guest of honor makes them adopted kids. says, all of heaven's yours. All of your earth is yours. All the blessings are yours. All the honor is yours. For all future ages. It's showcasing His grace, His mercy, His forgiveness. It showcases His Son. You've got to remember this. Here's the Son. says, all right, Father, you want them so badly, I will go and I will take all their sin and you can fully crush me under your wrath. I will take all of their wrath. I'll take all of their hell so that they can be reconciled to us. Man, what happens for eternity is that as much as we experience the immeasurable riches of His grace, He also in that celebrates His Son and His sacrifice. That's what it's all about. Right? He died our death so he could give us new life. So again, Paul reinforces, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And that it's not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. It is totally the grace of God. Here's the big message you have to know, you have to believe. In heaven... In the future, right now, in the past, doesn't matter, in heaven. You know what's not there? Good people. There is not any good people in heaven. There is not one human being that's a good person that's in heaven. Heaven is not populated by good people. It is populated by rescued people. That is it. That is it. No good people. Rescued people. And so if we approach the pearly gates, and when we get there we say, uh, let me sum through this, i got my resume here for why I should be in, we're ill-equipped. That's not the paper they're looking for. right? That's not the thing that they're wanting to make sure that they can read and go, oh, okay, I see you did that, you did that, you did that, you had, you had 50 positives, you had 49 negatives, you got a plus one, good, we enter on in. Right? It's not that. There's one piece of paper that they're looking for. Just one certificate that we have to show. And it's real simple, right? It's real simple. The certificate is really, really plain. It just says, in Christ. That's all it says. It doesn't say, I did anything. I didn't do anything. It didn't say, I earned anything. It doesn't say, I forsook anything. Except there's one thing. I'm in Christ. If I'm in Christ, everything else is covered. 
But if I go, oh, you know, I got all this, all this stuff and I had all these methods and I didn't need a savior, but I had all these salvation plans for life. I had faith in a lot of other things. I didn't have faith in the faithfulness of Christ. But boy, I was really good in a lot of other things. They're going to look at us like we're crazy because again, that's not the entrance card. The entrance card is that Christ came, he lived, God, man, died, buried, rose, ascended, and we were in him. Where we believe the truth of Christ. That's it. We affirm he did what he did. He earned what I could not earn. He gave what I wasn't even wanting at the time. And I trust him. This is so that we would boast only in God's grace, the grace that saves us and the grace that shapes us. Verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I love this because it kind of rounds out the, the, the blessing of all of this, right? So we, we go from completely anti-God or going against God or going our own way to being fully in God so much that we become his workmanship. Literally, it's this word poemia where we get the word poem, workmanship. We are like this masterpiece that God wants to make. I want you to realize that about the good news of Jesus. The good news isn't just to save you, save you. It's to take you and it's to create you into a masterpiece, into this poem of God, into the celebration of his craftsmanship, right? So he makes you and saves you and he lifts you to greatness. That is the goal of the gospel. And you're created, then it says, for good works. Not good works to save you, but because you're saved, you do good works. Your identity's in Christ, and therefore your activity are good things. Out of gratitude, out of thankfulness. In fact, this is something that God had prepared beforehand. In fact, if, if you ever in life go, what's my purpose? God will say, before you were ever born, man, I set up a purpose for you. I created this, this thing for you to do. Now, I don't know what that thing is fully for you to do, but I know that when you find your life in Christ and He's your center point, you begin to realize your purpose. A lot of people go through life and they're purposeless. They just don't know what to do. It's because there's a purpose that God has created for them, but only when they're joined to God will they understand their purpose. And Jesus, I've made you for a purpose. Made you for a purpose that you should walk in those works of that purpose. Remember it opened up? Uh, we walked according to our own flesh. And now through Jesus, we walk according to things that God has planned for us. See, everybody in life is on a walkabout. Right? Walks orient life. I don't know if you ever get really overwhelmed and frustrated and you just go for a walk to try to just kind of get your bearings. Everybody's on a walk. And we sometimes look and say, oh, there's so many paths and so many things to, to, to ponder and do. So many avenues for a walk. And Jesus does us a favor. He says, really, there's only two trailheads. There's just two. Right? One is this trailhead that God made before the foundations of the world that if you would walk in that and walk in Him and find what it means to know grace, stop earning and achieving and judging yourself against others and being conformed to this world, if you just find that place in grace, man, there's this narrow path that's really great. It leads to everlasting life. It's not an easy path. Sometimes it's a rugged path and a hard path, and you have to make hard decisions on this narrow path, but it is the path. That's the walk to take. But then there's this other trailhead. It's a really wide way, and there's all sorts of ways you can walk that wide path. 
You can walk it in self-righteousness. You can walk it in self-indulgence. You can walk it in self-esteem. You can walk it in whatever, all these self-things, but you're walking it ultimately by yourself. And it ends in grief. It ends in distance from God. It ends as being a child of wrath at the end of the road, and you just face God. Where grace is no longer the option because grace was extended throughout life. Once that last breath escapes, the clause of grace ends and we settle accounts. But God gives hope. God gives promise. God gives victory. God gives an option. God gives a solution. God gives grace. Grace to you now. Grace to you today. Grace that says, you know what? I will completely forgive you. I will completely uh, take you to myself. I will completely change you today is that day for some of you and so right now i want you just to bow your heads where you're at just get alone get isolated nobody's looking around that kind of thing and i do want to give that challenge i know many are here today because you are you follow jesus you go i've put my faith in the faithfulness of christ's work but there may be some of you today that you're here because somebody brought you. You may be here because it's Easter and it seemed like a, a thing to maybe do, to check out, to see. Maybe you sense God's doing something in your life. And you know what? I'm specifically talking to those who may feel that God may sense something in their life today. Some draw, some voice, some, some sense of, of pulling or tugging where you just know that God is saying, today is the day I want you to follow me. Today is the day I want you to believe in Christ. Today is the day I want you to take all of your sin, all of yourself, whatever, and drop it at the cross and say, God, forgive me. I repent. And God, thank you that you didn't just stay on this cross, but you rose in glory, you rose in hope, you rose in freedom, you rose to liberate, you rose to change my life, you rose to show the promise was true, you rose to live in me now as you live. Maybe that's the decision you need to make today where you pray again, forgive me, Jesus. Change me, Jesus. I bow myself to you. I come before you to live in my life, to rule over my life, to heal my life, to give me real life. Because here's the thing, what Jesus offers isn't a lesser life, it's finally for the first time true life. Maybe even some of you in this room, you go, man, I've been following Christ, but I don't feel life in Christ. Maybe this is an ultimate time of recalibration, just getting refocused, coming back to the empty tomb, saying, you came alive again so that I might have life. I want my life to be in you. If you're in any one of those categories, you can simply pray where you're at. And if you did, we want to know, I want to know. Come up to me at the door after the service today. Let me know, man, I prayed that prayer. Jesus, we love you and need you. We look to you and we honor you. Thank you for the fact that, again, the resurrection was about our sin as much as your death was about our sin. The difference being one was to atone for, the other was to bring life out of. And I thank you for your life. In your name we pray. Amen.